This is our second session on 1 Thessalonians 2, 1-4. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our entrance to you was not empty. We talked about that last time. But having already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God. In spite of this suffering and this shame, God worked courage and boldness to risk our lives again in Thessalonica to declare to you the gospel of God in much conflict. That's as far as we got. Now we start here. For our appeal was not from error or from impurity or in deceit, but just as we have been tested and approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests and approves our hearts. So this four right here shows that he is arguing for, giving a basis for, a warrant for what he has just claimed, namely, we had boldness in our God. He's defending the reality of God in his life. Our boldness didn't come from error and impurity and deceit. It really was from God. And this defense is going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. This is like listening into one side of a phone call and Paul saying, uh, I didn't do that. <laughs> In other words, he's responding, it seems, to reports that his adversaries, this conflict that he had, are spreading all kinds of terrible slander against Paul. So, Father, as we try to understand how Paul responds to this and what he claims for himself, show us how to walk in this kind of God-exalting integrity, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does he claim for himself now in his argument that his boldness was indeed real and in God and not just human? For our appeal was not from error or impurity or in deceit. Let's just ponder this word appeal for just a moment. So when he declares the gospel, now that word right there means good news. He's coming with good news. And when he declares this good news of God, there's an appeal in it. Sometimes people say, no, the, the gospel is only indicatives. It doesn't have any exhortations or imperatives in it. That's not true. Because if the gospel were to be enjoyed by means of works or merit, as though we had to earn it, that would be bad news. And so you have to make plain the people who benefit from the gospel are people who, what? That's the appeal here. So this unusual word, paraklesis, both means encouragement or comfort, and appeal. Let me show you that over here in 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort. Now that's the word. The word translated appeal is here translated comfort. The Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort. Now here it's a verb. Same word, only turned into a verb. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So Paul chooses this noun here, paraklesis, which can mean both comfort and encouragement and appeal. So what kind of appeal, given that kind of good news and that kind of association, what kind of appeal is it? And that can't help but remind me of Isaiah 40, where he says, God says, say this to Israel, comfort, comfort. And it's the same word twice in the Greek Old Testament. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The, the message of the gospel is, I bring you comfort. So now what shall we say about this word appeal? And here's what I would say. The gospel appeal. The gospel imperative, the gospel exhortation is embrace, you could use other verbs, you could say receive or trust or treasure or receive, embrace God in Christ as your comfort. So that's my effort to get at how the uh, appeal, which is actually telling us to do something, receive this, believe this, treasure this, embrace this, and yet it's an appeal that is an encouragement, a comfort. So my effort is to say this appeal when you hear it sounded as gospel, is, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come by and eat. Embrace God as in Christ, as your comfort, as your drink, as your satisfaction, as your savior, as your deliverer, as your redeemer, as everything to you. So that's the kind of appeal that Paul is sounding when he when he preaches, declares the gospel of God. For our appeal was not from error, not from impurity, but in and nor in deceit. Notice those different words. I'll come back to that in just a minute. What we have here 
maybe I jumped the gun too quick, is two not buts. Not from error, not from impurity or in deceit, but just as we have been tested and approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but pleasing God who tests and approves our hearts. So this but corresponds to that but. This this not here corresponds to this not here. Now the reason it helps to notice parallels like that, two sets of not but, Here's the not, here's the not, here's a but, here's a but, and this parallels this. The reason it helps to notice that is because when you lay th these two not buts on top of each other and let them shed light on each other, it becomes very illuminating. So do that. Let this not. Lie down on this knot. So we make our appeal. We speak. So this appeal corresponds to this speak. Not as pleasing men. Here it's not from error, not from impurity, or in deceit. So how does these three negations relate to this negation? You deceive people. When you're trying to curry their favor and put something over on them and get something from them by way of pleasing them. And this in deceit here describes how these two things would happen. So if you please men, then you can conceal that you don't really care about the truth. You're so pleasing to them, they don't care whether what you say is truth or error. And so you can put error over on them. And Paul is saying, I don't do that. I don't make my appeal from error. I care about the truth. Or you please men in order to seek some impure benefit. Now, that word, is used almost always in Paul, and he uses it a lot for sexual impurity. And that's so relevant, right? My goodness, how many Christian leaders, so-called, have used their Christianity as a front for sexual immorality? And Paul is saying, I'm not trying to flatter men or please men in order to wiggle my way into some kind of woman's bedroom. I'm not doing that. So this deceit here is how those two, I don't care about truth and what I really want is sex, are not true. I'm not deceiving you. And here it's, I'm not trying to please men. 
I'm not using deceit to get men's approval to conceal my hidden motives of sexual desire or to conceal my hidden indifference to the truth. And then the alternative here, but and but, so not this. My appeal is not from error, not from impurity. I'm not trying to deceive or please any man. Rather, my appeal is we have been tested and approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. My appeal is flowing from a God-tested and God-approved experience. In other words, God didn't just come to Paul and say, oh, I finally found somebody I can trust. (laughs) He was a Christian killer. God put Paul through fire and brought him out on the other side, tested and approved. And that's how he can preach the gospel, make this appeal with absolute integrity. Or, as he says here, not pleasing men, but pleasing God, who has indeed and still puts me through the fire and finds me worthy of being entrusted with the gospel. So, what's the upshot of all of this? The upshot is this. Paul is arguing in all of this that his boldness in God is real. He's real. He's a man of God. He's not in this for indifference to the truth. He's not in it for sexual impurity. He doesn't use deceit and he doesn't use flattery. He has been put through the fire and tested by God and found to be trustworthy with the gospel, and he lives his life not before the face of man, but for the face of God who tests him. Paul is real, and he's going to give more arguments for that in what comes. And oh, how we should take to heart that it isn't just the message that we bring. We bring our very selves, and it makes a huge difference whether we are deceivers or whether we are authentic as people who are in the power of God.